for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay. Throughout this podcast, we have talked to a number of people who, it's pretty fair to say, the station would not exist without their influence and uh, time over the last years. And if you talk to anybody who's been at the radio station in the last two plus decades, the first name they'd give you at the top of the list is today's guest. You might know him as Text. I know him as Stephen Kurtz. Welcome to the podcast. Wow, that that was a great intro. I like that. <laughs> I told him offline I had like 10 different ways to introduce him and I had to pick one. So, Stephen... Many of our alumni and students know you as Tex. You are, to my knowledge, one of the only, if not the only, born and raised Texan that has come through the annals of WJPZ. Tell me how you ended up there. Honestly, you know, uh, when I was, you know, looking at colleges, what is that, 16, 17 years old, I wanted to go as far away from uh, Dallas as I possibly could. So, (laughs) wow, okay. No, that's really true. I, I wanted to experience something different and growing up, I had some family in Syracuse. Uh, My mom's side of the family was split between Syracuse and uh, Buffalo and Rochester, you know, kind of on the throughway. When I went to look at it, I kind of looked at it like the first time I went into Syracuse, I kind of looked at it and I was like, you know, this would be familiar because I've been to Syracuse before growing up, you know, visiting family. But then the more I, you know, walked around campus and everything, I just fell in love with it. And I said, this is where I have to go. So that's what I did. So how once at Syracuse did you discover WJPZ? So I actually discovered WJPZ before I even was a student, before I was even accepted. Actually, I think it was right after I was accepted. I took a trip up just to take a look around. My parents wanted me to just, you know, be 100% sure before, you know, signing on the dotted line. Before the little boy went that far away? I can understand that. Right. I showed up at the house when you guys were at the house, and um, (laughs) I believe you guys were doing Show Your Belly for Nelly. Oh, my God. (laughs) Which, by the way, a bright note in our September 11th podcast is Peterman telling that story. If you haven't heard that episode, go back and listen to it. But my mind is blown right now, dude, because you're talking about your first impression of the radio station being, number one, that POS house, and number two, a bunch of high schoolers shaking their belly for Nelly tickets. Wow. Right. Exactly. And I, But, I, you know, remember, I was still high school age myself, so I thought that was pretty cool. But I was also in radio, and I said holy moly, they're coming out of this POS house, as you said, and they're doing this contest and you guys made it sound larger than life. And I'm like, I want to be a part of this. Wow. (laughs) So it wasn't at that moment where you thought to yourself, boy, I could try to like fix a whole bunch of stuff when I'm here. That part of it came later, I'm guessing. Yeah, no, that came later because (laughs) when I heard the house, when you guys were in the house, yeah, was there a little buzz, whatever, but it still sounded like you guys were on the air. You were doing it. You know, so Mm -hmm. I I didn't go in there wanting to fix anything. I went in there. Hey, I want to be a part of this. Hey, I want to I want to be on the air. I want to do whatever I can to get involved. Please tell me when you were at the house, we told you, by the way, we're going to have nicer digs when you come in next year as a freshman. You know, yes, they they told me that. And I'm thinking I originally talked to I think it was actually Farrakhani that had talked to me at first. Okay, And he was telling me all about the new build and all that. And I was, you know, really impressed. So you had a little bit of radio uh, in your blood beforehand, because you mentioned, did you allude to that, or is this your first foray into radio? No, um, I was actually uh, on the air in Dallas uh, doing weekends and uh, some other things uh, at uh, Hot 100 at the time. We had just 
flipped right after I uh, graduated high school. We before I came to Syracuse, we it flipped or basically just a name change to Wild 100. But yeah, I was on the weekends. I'd walked into uh, at the time it was Infinity Radio, 1998. I walked in and I was like. Hey, do you guys know what a website is? I was like, well, who needs a website? I'm like, you guys need a website. And they're like, you know, the company doesn't have any money to build a website. We don't know much about it. So I said, I'll tell you what, I'll help you with the website if you teach me how to be on the radio. And and that's how I learned. Oh, wow. Yeah. Not, not to say Syracuse didn't shape me because it did a hundred percent, but that was my first foray. So when I came into Syracuse, I was already a radio nerd. That goes without saying. But you already had experience designing websites and on, on the IT piece of it at that point. Right, exactly. So what happens when you get to Syracuse as a freshman and you end up at JPZ in this is the fall of 2001? When I first got there, I made a beeline right over to uh, Watson and got involved. And I think actually, Jag, you were on the air huh. when I walked into the station for the first time. No way. In the after, You were on in the afternoon and yep, you were right there. And from that moment on, I just honestly felt like that was my place. That was my family. It was the best. It was really amazing. You mentioned that family aspect, and we'll probably come back to these mm. with funny stories later. I just remember my senior year, there was just this group of us that would go to Chili's every Friday afternoon. So you came in the fall, I think in the spring, instead of being like a typical senior and going to happy hour, you and me and Josh and so many others, we would all go to Chili's on Erie Boulevard every Friday night for Presidente Margaritas. There were some good stories at Chili's. <laughs> there were indeed. <laughs> Maybe not for this podcast, but... <laughs> So you really have cemented yourself as the guy when it comes to all technical things at the station. I don't want to say it's just you, obviously, because you've got Rob Crandall, you've got Alex Silverman, you've got Josh, and you've got so many others. But when something goes wrong, you tend to be the first call uh, the students make. And this has been true for as long as I can remember now, for two decades. And let me back up for a second, because when you first get to know Stephen, and, and please don't take this the wrong way, but he can come off a little bit as a know-it-all because he knows so much. But then you realize he's not a know-it-all because he really does know it all. Because he, he really... <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but you know. I've asked him for everything from recommendations to uh, television sets to the laptop that I'm recording this on right now that I just got two weeks ago to uh, stuff with my website and IT support from my business. If there is something that runs on any kind of a technical thing... Stephen knows how it works. How is it just being curious? Like, how did you get to know so much and how did it eventually come into play at the radio station? You know, that's really what it is, right? It's asking questions. It's, hey, I don't know how this works. I want to find out. I want to figure it out. I want to know how it works. I, I don't want to just know that it works. And, you know, I come in every day and, and push the same button <laughs> and the same thing happens. No, I want to know what happens when I push the button and nothing happens. I want to know why <laughs> nothing happened and know how to fix it. And that's always been, you know, since I was, uh, gosh, since I was a child, I distinctly remember going up to my uh, dad's office in the early 90s and he had gotten a computer, which for a CPA that, you know, used to do all these manual forms and everything and typewriters and adding machines and all that. A computer was a big deal, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it, it might it might have been six months old and he started having a problem with it. So I ripped the thing apart to figure out how it worked <laughs> and, and what was going on with it. You know my dad and uh, his reaction was not very um, positive, but I ended up fixing it and it was just a, like a loose cable or something. And I'm like, wow, this thing fascinates me. So that's really where it started. It, it really started just by being curious and asking questions and, and doing a lot of reading. I read a ton. So you're the one who actually reads the manuals. Got it. So I, I wouldn't say I read the manual. I, I, it's almost like, you know, I just read a lot about how things work. And, you know, if I need to read the manual, fine. 
but I, I want to know how it works. So that way I don't, I don't have to read the manual. I just, you know, well, here's the concepts, here's what we know. And, you know, maybe, maybe look at the manual for some caveats, but besides that, Hey, we're, we're good to go. So how did it become that you started fixing things at the radio station? Oh my gosh. Well, you guys had just moved in uh, to the old new studios in Watson and there was still a lot to do, right? It had been done quickly, half step backwards, right? Everything that is at Z and all that is done. 99.9% of it is done volunteer, right? Mm -hmm. So we didn't have anybody to pay to bring into the studio, uh, to bring in a contract engineer to rewire or to help us set things up. We had to figure it out ourselves. And, you know, working with Rob Crandall and John Farrakhani, we all just kind of dove in on issues and just started knocking them out. You know, one of the first things I did, and I, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead of you here, is put in a computerized, the first computerized uh, playout system for JPZ. That was Audio Vault, wasn't it? Uh, actually, it was even before that. I don't know if you remember uh, Jazzler. Uh, no. We had, he had a name and he had a hat. His name was Frank Jazzler, but it was a <laughs> computer playout software. Well, because we were having problems filling the overnights and the, the always the hard to fill shifts. And we could not use high school. You know, traditionally, historically, the station had utilized high school kids in a lot of day parts. Particularly breaks and stuff like that. Right. And we couldn't do that. So we were going into my first winter break and we had nothing. We were uh, we were told by the university that it was an insurance risk and we couldn't do that anymore. anymore. So we had to scramble, pivot, and we put in the first uh, computer playout that ran pretty well over uh, winter break while we were not there. So we transitioned from, you know, mini disc to using computers for sweepers and all that. And there was a lot of push, right? It was something new. It was some, something different. And it was a push in the right direction, though, because now... You know, you go into most radio studios, you have 32 monitors. Exactly. It's a matter of putting in what's going to really help prepare the students to get into a career, whether they go into radio or otherwise. And I think that was probably part of the rationale was right after I left, where it was decided to go back on university funding because we weren't going to make the money we needed on our own in the current media landscape to be able to buy the equipment to adequately prepare the students for the real world. That's exactly right. And we may have been a little ahead of the curve, but I think we were right on time. Everything that we do for the station when it comes to the tech side or really anything we do, but especially on the tech side, we are always looking at who uses this in the real world, what experience that the students are going to get on this equipment that they're going to get in the real world. You know, so we, we always try and that's our first thing that comes to our minds when we're doing things for the station. World's greatest media classroom. It's WJPZ. At 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence... This is WJPZ at 50. So you actually decided to part ways with Syracuse, even though you've, it's, which is funny to me because you've been so well connected since, but you actually finished up elsewhere, right? Yep. I finished up at the uh, University of North Texas, which is just north of Dallas. And really the reason behind that was simple. I hate snow. <laughs> Everybody listening to this podcast is laughing along with me. We had 192 inches of snow my last year in Syracuse. And it was the gloomiest, most cloudy, dreary. My feet were always cold. And I said, 
you know, a lot of my friends were older. A lot of my friends had either graduated or were about to graduate. And I'm like, well, if my friends aren't here, I'm cold, I'm wet. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go back to Texas. And I don't regret that at all. In fact, it probably helped my career in a lot of ways, but it raised a few eyebrows. I'll tell you that. So after you head back to Texas, you still stayed as, pardon the pun, plugged into the radio station as anyone, because throughout the years, you have been involved in every major renovation to the station, starting with getting profit annexion in there. Mina talked about that uh, a few years later. And then, of course, the big rebuild in 2012. Yeah, absolutely. And I wouldn't have it you know, any other way. That is my way to give back to the students that are there now. You know, I've been really fortunate to work in a lot of cool places, to learn a lot of cool things. And the best way, you know, yeah, I can donate, I can do whatever, but really my best way to give back is to give my time. My time is, you know, everybody's time is their most valuable asset. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if I've got the time, I've got the skills, hey, have at it. So yeah, it's it's been a lot of uh, hard work and we've pulled off projects in a week's time that normally take, you know, months. And I'm always, you know, impressed at, wow, we really did that. Take me behind the scenes of some memories you have of some of those larger projects you've helped handle over the years. There were two really big things that stick out in my mind when you talk about behind the scenes kind of things that happened. The studio, the, the main rebuild, uh, we had the opportunity to uh, expand into the space next door to the station that used to be uh, Food Works. You know, the university said, why is there a convenience store in the middle of all this TV and radio? And <laughs> we took that opportunity and uh, the chancellor, uh, Chancy Nancy, as we lovingly <laughs> called her, um, was really, you know, focused on media and was really, really believed in the station and its mission. And so uh, we got to split uh, the space with the TV station. And so it really very quickly developed into something where, we went from a station that had one studio in a prod room, and that was it, really. You had the backroom space, but that, that was it, to a station that has four studios. It's got a nice office space. It's got a dedicated, you know, GM office, and the biggest thing, a, a dedicated rack room. We had never had a rack room before. So all of our equipment was actually in, the, the studio side equipment was actually in the studio. I remember that. You know, in a rack, kind of hidden, tucked in the back corner. It really gave us the springboard that we needed to, get the station really shaped, I guess, for the next 10, 20, 30 years uh, into the future. Because now they can do all kinds of things like podcasting and um, recording, you know, pre-recording shows or pre-recording content, stuff that they really couldn't do before because we didn't have the resources. Back to being the world's greatest media classroom. And if you walk into that exactly. rack room, you'll see that it is, uh, what, is it, what is it officially called? The Stephen Kurtz Technical Operations Center? Where the I think it's the Stephen Tex Kurtz uh, uh, Technical Operations Center. And then we've got the... Uh, Alex Silverman rack and the Rob Crandall rack, <laughs> uh, you know, and that was, uh, that was Liz, Liz Doyen did all that. That was, you know, she worked really hard behind the scenes on the whole remodel and the renovation. She worked very, very hard and very diligently, uh, with the university. You know, she was one of the ones that made that happen. We had a great conversation with that in our episode with her. I invite you to check that out as well. Yeah, that was mid December. And we were putting that, uh, getting the finishing touches ready, uh, to put it back on the air. And I think we were playing a loop of uh, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas. I think that's what uh, we had rolling there at the time. That would seem appropriate for that time of year. There you go. That was a crazy time. Uh, we did a lot <laughs> in a very short amount of time. Months worth of work in a week is for the way Liz and Alex and everybody else that was there tells the story for sure. 100%. You did say there were two things you were most proud of. There was a studio rebuild. And what was the other one? Um, when we were able to successfully upgrade to uh, 1,000 watts. So... 
we were at 100 watts for since its uh, inception on the FM dial, and we were able to uh, design a pattern and a way to put uh, 1,000 watts in the directions that really have the most populated or the most growth areas uh, in the in the region. And I'm really proud of the way our team was able to work together and take something that was only 100 watts, and we did a ton with 100 watts. Well, think what they can do with 1,000. What directions does it go further in now? It goes further into the uh, northern areas, like the northern suburbs. That's really where kind of uh, the growth has been. So towards Liverpool and points north, I mean, I've heard getting it almost to Watertown before. So that's pretty good. <laughs> and what year was that? I think it was 2017. So fairly recently. Yes. And you've got more stuff on the horizon planned for the station too, right? Absolutely. Yep. As time goes on, things age. We've got a new transmitter going in. You know, the pandemic, just like everything else, kind of interrupted our normal uh, twice a year plans there. So we're still kind of catching up from the pandemic. So everything from toilet paper to transmitters. That's exactly right. The supply chain, just like everything else, has been a mess. I don't want to go on and on about this, but I do want to hammer the point home because you are, like many alumni, you are not a guy who stands on top of Mount Olympus and screams, look what I did, look what I did, look what I did. No. Your contributions to the radio station as a student and as an alum are immeasurable. You and many others who have handled so many technical things, rebuilding a radio station, and it falls in a long lineage of people we've talked to on this podcast that built stuff in the 70s and built stuff in the 80s and kept things on the air in the 90s and in the 2000s and 2010s and so on and so forth. You are part of that lineage. Tell me what you have gotten out of WJPZ in terms of life lessons and relationships built. Oh my gosh, uh, so many. There are literally more than I can count, but I, I really think one of the biggest things that the station has has taught me is that everybody always says, oh, don't work with your friends. <laughs> Don't mix friendship and business and that. You can do it and you have to navigate it carefully, but it can be done and it can be done really well, right? Because we were all friends, but we were all working together too. So I had never uh, been suspended from any job or anything before. And I had my first experience with that uh, at Z. Was I there when that happened or was that after I was gone? I, don't... I think. Or did I suspend you? I don't know. Maybe that happened. Farrah Connie was the GM. Okay. So it was the year after I was gone. Okay. I think it was a year after you were gone. I, I got suspended. I did something. Something needed to be done. And the person that was supposed to do it didn't do it. So I did it. But really, you know, that offended that person. So long story. But I learned that, hey, I was friends with somebody. They had to suspend me, right? And so dealing with the personal relationships and the professional relationships and balancing that, um, sometimes it could be a little bit difficult. But that's probably one of the biggest things I've taken away is how to work with your friends and how to uh, then later in life come back full circle and give back with your friends as well. You know, because when Alex and I come back and, and do work at the station, for example, or Josh and I or Matt and I, whoever, we're back working together again. And uh, we got a lot of things to do. There's a lot of stressful situations that we're in, but we're able to handle it and handle it gracefully because we do know how to balance that and we do know how to balance the friendship with the work. You know, it's funny, and I know the group of us, we all do stay in touch, text messages and things like that, but there are always these, uh, and this is true of so many JPZ alumni, you always have those friends that you could go a couple months or even a couple of years without talking to. You pick up the phone, you pick up right back where you left off. I've got to imagine when you get back up to Syracuse with those guys, it's the same thing. You just pick right back up where you left off 20 years ago. Oh, absolutely. There's no pause. There's no, you know, gaps. Even though we might not talk all the time, it's like nothing, nothing ever happened. 
What are some of the relationships that you've built over the years of people you've gotten close with that you, you were either in school with or before or after, Stephen? There's so much. I have become really good friends uh, with Alex Silverman. He just is an amazing talent. He has a brilliant mind, both technically and people-wise and mm -hmm. uh, business-wise. He has just, I've watched him grow and I am so just proud of him and proud to call him a friend of mine. Uh, I was having a conversation the other day with an engineer in another market and uh, he brought Alex up and didn't know that I knew Alex and just knew that we both went to Syracuse. And I said, oh yeah, Alex is a great friend of mine. And, you know, just to hear the things that I've always said about Alex, hear somebody else say that, that that's just awesome. You know, uh, Josh Wolf was the best man in my wedding. You were in my wedding. Like, yeah. And you DJ'd mine. I DJ'd yours. <laughs> you would have been in it had you not been DJing it. Right, right. But, it, but had I not had that JPZ experience, I wouldn't have this. I wouldn't have the best friends that I made. Lifelong adult friends is really what it is. You know, coming out of high school and going into college, like you don't know what to expect right? It's your first time in a new school, new situation for most people. It's your first time in that situation. Yeah. So starting brand new with knowing nobody, literally, I think I knew two people uh, when I got to Syracuse, one who I went to high school with, who just happened to end up going to Syracuse. We weren't really close. And then somebody I went to summer camp with, you know, years and years and years prior. And that was it. So this was new. And so being able to get there and within what seems like minutes, days, hours, whatever it is, uh, have a whole group of close friends and people who, you know, support and who are there for you and who are your friends and true friends, you know, that, that speaks volumes of, uh, the relationships that you can build. And, uh, I know so many people have done the same thing, whether it be personal relationships, business, I know businesses were started and, you know, it just yeah. crazy things have happened because of this place, because of JPC. Very well said. Speaking of starting businesses, tell me about your career post Syracuse and you know what you've done in the time since. Sure. Actually, uh, when I went back home to go to UNT, I uh, started working at Clear Channel first part-time and then moved to uh, full-time. I was uh, creative services on air and uh, started in uh, IT and engineering for uh, Clear Channel in Dallas at the uh, Top 40 uh, KHKS. And uh, stayed there for a few years and quickly decided that uh, radio was not really paying the money that I, I wanted to be making to <laughs> be able to live fully on my own and not have to worry about, you know, uh, where, where's my next uh, rent check coming or rent check coming from. Stephen, if, if you pause for a second and listen closely, you'll hear heads nodding of everybody listening to this podcast right now. But continue. <laughs> well, the reason why I shared is because, you know, it, it's a good story. Yeah, but it's also like you've got to look out for yourself. You are your own biggest cheerleader and you have to be, right? Yeah. So you got to look out for yourself. So then I started, uh, I was an IT director for a couple different companies. And while I was doing that, after I left Clear Channel, I uh, uh, ended up doing weekends and then picked up engineering work at uh, Infinity slash CBS radio in Dallas for their Rhythmic AC and a couple of, uh, in their Jack FM uh, station here and uh, learned a ton about transmission and getting to play with, you know, transmitters that are, you know, putting out 35, 50,000 watts, you know, 100,000 watts. It's a lot different. Uh, so picking up a lot of uh, things there. And uh, after doing all that and being IT director in corporate America, I really decided in uh, 2009, right uh, at the beginning of 2009, we were smack dab 
in the middle of the uh, recession. And I said, you know what? I really like working for myself. And I think I can actually take these people that are getting laid off and uh, start a business. So I decided wow. to start a uh, IT consulting firm and uh, it has uh, grown by leaps and bounds. And, you know, 2022 was our best year. Every year has just been growth. I've got uh, about 30 guys now and uh, have uh, IT customers all over the country as well as radio too. So I was able to merge two things that I love into, you know, one thing. And I got to imagine some of your, uh, some of the uh, ideas behind that trace back to JPZ. Absolutely. 100%. It's, you know, JPZ is kind of an open book, right? Yeah. There's a format, there's, you know, music logs, you got to play what's on them. But at the same time, it gives you the freedom to explore and express your interests in different ways. And learning how to do that at JPZ really translated into my professional, molding my professional life saying, why can't I do this? How can I do this within the realm of X? Uh, JPZ was instrumental in creating that for me. Before I let you go, Stephen, Tex, uh, dude, as you're called sometimes, give me a funny story or two that you remember from your time at JPZ. You know, I've been thinking about this long and hard. I have been like, what am I going to tell him? And the one story that sticks out the most to me, because I, because you know, we have plenty. We could talk about these stories all day. Is the day that uh, Peterman and Marty were on the uh, Z Morning Zoo, and back then we didn't have as great of equipment as we do now. So, mm -hmm. like we talked about before, all the transmitter equipment to control the transmitter was uh, in the studio, and the transmitter itself was on Day Hall. But there was a remote control in the studio. Well. It's in that back little corner. Well, I forget what Peterman was doing, but it was a bit of some sort. And it was kind of like zappy hour, but it was in the morning. And I forget what he did, but he was playing She Bangs and dancing around the studio. And he booty bumped the remote of the transmitter. So, okay, you know, it takes us off the air. Like literally <laughs> just all of a sudden. Now, like I said, we didn't have great equipment back then. The transmitter turned off, but it would not turn back on. Oh, so um, Peterman took us off the air with his ass. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So I was about to go to class and I skipped class. I'm not, you know, hopefully my parents don't listen to this. I skipped class. Statute of limitations. Yeah, right. Uh, skipped class and I went up to the transmitter and ended up spending like two hours up there trying to coax that thing back on. But yeah, that, yeah, definitely Peterman's ass turning off the transmitter. That was, uh, that was my go-to story. <laughs> I was not happy. I, I was I was very unhappy going up there in the snow. It was cold. Yeah, <laughs> not, not fun. <laughs> I do have one more story. Absolutely. You know, you were talking about this earlier, and it brought it back up uh, into my mind. You know, we used to go to uh, Chili's on Friday nights, and it was a big group of us. But I feel like there was always like a core group, and then other people would just kind of filter in and out as they could. That core group, I want to say, was who was in that core group? It was you, me, Josh, Ashley Luongo, Jared Fialco. Um, uh, Katie Bell, I think, came with us most times. Rob Crandall would have been there. Rob Crandall was there, yeah. That was like the core. Yeah. So, and, and I'm going to apologize to Josh in advance. <laughs> uh, he knows where this is going, uh, but that's okay. So, Josh Wolf had this interesting habit that everybody had picked up on, Whenever the check would come, or right before the check would come, he had this knack. I don't know what it was. He would go to the bathroom. <laughs> I remember that. So one day, I think you and I came up with this. That sounds right. We decided 
that when Josh got up to go to the bathroom, we would all get up and leave. <laughs> and the, the point of it was to see who he called first and how many times. Because we sat in the car in the parking lot. Yeah, we, oh yeah, we, we pulled the car around back so he couldn't see us. In Josh's defense, I should say, it's not that he never paid his share of the check. He always paid. No, he always paid. He always just would disappear when the check came for some unknown reason. Right, and so we decided, you know, let's let's do it. So, <laughs> you know, I think he called Katie Bell first. Well, she was the money person. She was the money person. <laughs> she would always be the one handling the money, handling the checks. You know, she always took the check from the server and said, you do this, you do that, you do this. And uh, she, he called Katie first, and then I think he called you, and then I think he finally called me, like, fifth down the list. I was all sitting in your truck just, like, cackling, laughing, because we were watching him squirm. Because I'm the one driving. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that was good. He was, he was pissed over that. He was, he was heated over that for a while. And Josh will tell you, he always turns red. He was red. <laughs> wow. The time we pretended to stick Josh with the bill at Chili's, that is a good one. We went back and we paid it. We we took care of it, but it was still good. <laughs> well, I think we can leave it there. Uh, Stephen, thank you for your time today. And thank you for all your contributions to the station over two decades and hope to see you in March. Absolutely. We'll see you in March for sure. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.